Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Brave New Teaching. I am so happy that you're here joining us today. My name is Amanda, and I'm here to introduce another Amanda to you today. Today's episode is an interview with the brilliantly talented Amanda Warner. Amanda has a website. It is www.amandarightnow.com. That right is spelled W-R-I-T-E, because Amanda is an accomplished writing teacher, specifically a teacher whose talents are extraordinary in that of workshop teaching. Um, Amanda runs a membership program called Workshop Teacher. You can read all about it on her website. Amanda and I have been friends for a very, very long time now. Um, If you can believe it, I actually found Amanda through social media. I think it's almost five years ago. And I found her on social media. I went to her website and I read about um, her blog and the things that she's up to in her classroom. And I thought, I want to be friends with this girl. And so I actually sent her a note through the contact page on her website. I remember I felt like such a nerd. And I said to her, hey, you really inspire me. And I would love to talk to you more about these things that you're doing in your classroom. And sure enough, she responded. And we've been talking ever since. We've traveled together. She's been to my home in Chicago. She, I've been to her home out in the San Francisco area. We've held each other's babies. And we've been doing a lot of growing together as teachers and moms and um, just two women who are trying to do amazing things for other teachers. So 
My heart and respect are all, all, all over this girl, Amanda Warner. You guys are going to love this interview. In today's interview, we specifically actually talk about mindfulness. Amanda's specialty is definitely in writing, um, but her her other specialty is being an amazing human being. Um, Amanda is a very thoughtful person, and she's brought that talent, that that ability to think about the world around her, meditate, slow down, and be mindful. You know, she's done a lot of research herself and really practiced it herself to a point where she was bringing it into her classroom. And so we wanted to know all about that process, how she does it, and how she brings mindfulness practices to her classroom so that you guys could start doing similar things. So without further ado, I would recommend you guys pop over to her website. Again, it's Amanda Right Now, W R I T E Now.com, and check out what she's got to offer and enjoy the show. You're going to be so inspired to do some of these activities with your own students. So thanks for sticking around. And here's one of the latest brave new teachers around, Amanda Right Now. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Well, hey, everybody, we are ready to go and talk to the wonderful, amazing Amanda Warner. She is here to talk to us about her teaching journey. And more importantly, she's going to help us kind of understand this idea of mindfulness and how it works in the classroom. Amanda, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. and I'm excited to have this opportunity to be on your podcast. I love it. I'm a huge fan. Oh, Amanda, listen. Okay, we have to have a little disclosure. Amanda and I have been friends for a very long time. We're like in real life friends and internet. We started as internet friends, but now we're in real life friends who have actually been to each other's homes. Yes, yes, yes. The two Amandas. The two Amandas. So, okay, guys, so I already know you. Go ahead, Marie. No, go ahead, Marie. No, I was going to say, you guys are very exciting. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like kind of voyeuristic in this moment a little bit, but then at the same time, like we're all here together. Internet friends, I feel I've told my students this because my kids are too young to understand, but my students, I'd be like, yeah, guys, sometimes friends from the internet are not as bad as your parents tell you that they're going to be. Like sometimes you make great friends from the internet. Sometimes it's strangers and they're creepy. So, you know, discretion. In, in my adulthood, my, yeah. <laughs> my in real life friends have narrowed down so much that my internet friends have actually like overtaken the in real life friends that I actually see anyway. And I've, I'm closer with Amanda than some girls I went to college with and no offense to them, but like we're in this incredible world right now as teachers with Instagram and teachers with social media. And we just have not only things in common, but things we're so passionate about together. And that's how really Amanda and I started talking was our common passion around teaching and the way we do things. And that's clearly how I met Marie too. And it's just such a cool world we live in. So I agree. Here we are. <laughs> well, and Marie, you're my friend and you didn't even know it because of your YouTube channel. I, I, <laughs> 
you're you're my best friend too, even though we've never met or really talked. Well, and see, from listening to your podcast, Amanda, I'm like, oh yeah, no, we're like the same teaching philosophies. Oh yeah, yeah no, we're like right on par with each other. It is the funniest thing too. And I like, I wonder how much of it is that we are all teachers and therefore like something about being teachers, you want to find people that are like-minded and it's kind of hard to do so when you are on, I mean, obviously we find our on-campus friends and we find our like in-district friends that are like there in the physical space. But the way that at least in like Southern California teaching jobs can go is they can get very competitive simply because there are more humans than there are jobs that are desirable. And so sometimes finding those friends that are like, you guys in different parts of the country, like it's, there's a little bit less pressure and you could just be a little bit more authentic. I think, especially like early in a career. I know we're all a little bit later in our careers, so it's easier to just be like, here's what I think about teaching. Blah. Here's what I do. Um, but I wonder like if we were in a different industry, if like finding friends on the internet would be a different, huh? It things might be pon- things to ponder. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Well, we know Amanda really well. So Amanda, let's give us, give you the chance to introduce yourself and everyone who's listening. Tell us about your life, your teaching journey, your business. What are you up to? Okay. So I started teaching, I think, I think we've all been teaching the same number of years. I'm pretty, Amanda and I. Yeah. So I started 13. I just finished 13. Yes, I think I just finished 13. So I'm going on 14. Yes, lucky number 13 was COVID-19. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've been teaching for a long time. I actually started in the elementary uh, level. I started at fourth grade. I've taught third grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. I've just been working my way up. And I, I can say, I, I've taught seventh too because I taught drama and there were seventh graders in my drama class. And I currently teach eighth grade English and I love eighth grade. I love 13 year olds. I, but I don't know, all ages have their uh, pros and cons. Uh, And then I started um, my business about seven years ago and I am so passionate about making English relevant and meaningful for my students and uh, helping them realize what we're doing in the classroom is vital (laughs) to their lives. And the way that I, uh, the method that I really just became super passionate about really early on, probably in my third year uh, was writing and reading workshop. And so I just am all in with those two methods, project-based learning and, uh, and teaching teachers how to simplify their lives using those methods. Because I think a lot of teachers are intimidated by such a student-centered approach, but I feel like it makes our lives easier uh, using those approaches. And that's one of the things that I love about listening to your podcast is you give like really simple and straightforward strategies to like debunk that myth that these student-centered approaches are overwhelming for the day. Cause it feels like a loss of control or it seems like it will feel like a loss of control for teachers who are not used to teaching in that way. And then like you just break it down to be like, no, it's actually like way easier. And it, it actually does your job for you. <laughs> like 
the kids teach themselves in a lot of ways and we just get to like guide. Exactly. And, and my podcast, by the way, is the workshop teacher podcast. If anyone's curious about that. And uh, I am, I stopped for a while uh, recording episodes, but I am starting back up very soon. Amanda, okay, so talk to us a little bit about one of your biggest teaching wins. So before we kind of get into more, you know, detailed stuff with mindfulness, I just, I think it's great for people to get to know you better in, in your classroom and peel back the layers. So in your teaching journey, what was one of your biggest teaching wins? Well, I've kind of already talked about that a little bit, discovering uh, reading workshop. So Nancy Atwell, uh, I think it was one of her books I read because we were teaching using open court. I don't know if you all have ever heard of open court. No, I got nothing. (laughs) So that's what our, what was given to me. And I was so thankful to have that as a first year teacher to have something to go off of. But by year three, I was so bored and I, I just, and I grasped onto the things in that curriculum that, um, that were more uh, real life. So there was one lesson in particular. Uh, we So open court is reading the same story like multiple times, taking a test on it, writing about it. it it's really boring. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it sounds really boring. <laughs> yeah. Like. But there were... Um, and this was probably my third year teaching. I was teaching fourth grade. There, there were these fun ideas, like extension ideas. And one of them, we read this story about these kids who made Valentine's cards uh, for their community. And it was around in February. And I think we were in the middle of reading the story. And I just stopped. And I said, we should do this. We're going to sell, we're going to start a business and we're going to sell Valentine's cards to our school and to parents. And to t- and it was so fun. It was chaos. And I have pictures of it. And we made all these cards and they got really creative. And so incorporating art, and then we were trying to figure out like the money aspect. And I don't think we ended up even really, I think we used fake money and um, and we we just went off. Did we take a test? No. Did we reread the story multiple times? No. And that was kind of the beginning of my role, rule breaking life as a teacher. <laughs> well, it all comes down to Valentine's Day. Well, but it sounds like you saw not just in yourself, but a boom in your students' engagement. Like that's kind of what happens with that kind of chaos. It's that yeah. like energizing moment where you're like, oh no, there's a reason why I hate this. It's because it was horrible and doing something else is better. Yeah. Like, well, and the kids, they, yeah, I just, I think that's the best thing about being a teacher is when they perk up, when they turn their head and look yes. at you and they get excited. And I just live for those moments when kids kind of come out of their stupor. And it, it's funny because w- the first week of school, I'm crazy. I just run around the classroom you know, standing on desks, standing on tables. I scare my kids. They're just like, <laughs> they're just like, who is this alien? Like, who is this lady? <laughs> That's funny. I just love shocking them. And they just, you know, I think one of my goals as a teacher is 100% engagement. Um, so. Have you ever taught higher than eighth grade? Or just, you never nope. gone into the high school? Nope. 
I say, I, st- I stand on tables all the time. And the kids just keep talking to me. Like it's no, <laughs> I stand on a table to like get something out of the ceiling that someone has thrown up there and it's stuck and it's just like seamless because there's no shock anymore. Like, huh. <laughs> there goes Mrs. Morris again. There she goes, just playing the floor is lava again. No big deal. We'll just keep our discussion going. Yeah. It's funny. That's awesome. That's so, okay. So one of your biggest teaching wins, I love that. And like finding a way to like break rules to get engagement. And that's kind of like a lot of what we talk about here. Brave new teaching, you know, challenging mm-hmm. the status quo. So then to flip that, what would you say has been one of your greatest teaching fails or shall we say opportunities for growth if we're going to be really (laughs) PC about it in the edubabble world? (laughs) Oh, so I've actually, um, Black Lives Matter and the way that I have, the relationships that I've had with uh, my Black students. um, And this is just coming to light um, for me. And actually, I'm feeling uh, very emotional talking about it. Um, I I finished White Fragility. um, And I know everyone's reading that right now. Everyone should be reading that right now. um, And I'm currently reading Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And as I'm reading this book, I'm almost done with it. I just keep flashing to all my black students that I've had. Um, and I just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm pretty emotional about it because I just, I do feel that um, I've lacked empathy. Um, and yeah, I'm on a mission to change that for sure. I have to say, I know... I know that Amanda and I have talked about this, like, when we're not recording, you are so not alone, even in this little trio of the three of us, of looking back and having that, like, gut-wrenching regret of, like, I thought I knew, and there's so much I didn't know. I just, and, like, I think, though, that the really important part, like you're saying, is being on that journey of, like, moving forward and, like, feeling those emotions and then saying, and now I'm going to do better. I think it's amazing, Amanda. And I think for people who are listening, I think giving people permission to feel the same way right now is super powerful because I know one of my first reactions to all this was a pretty hard brick wall. Like, like, uh, uh, this doesn't apply to me. I know what I'm doing. Like, this is, this does not apply to me and kind of compartmentalizing, you know, my, you know, I live in a mixed family. I, my brother-in-law is black. Like I, of course I have no issues with this. And then like, you know, just kind of like the slow, taking apart every brick from that wall and really looking back, you know, I started very defensive and I think you sharing your emotional, like you've gotten through that into the, okay, like now we need to rebuild. I think that's just so powerful and really hard to admit. Like, you know, we really went into this thinking you were going to tell us something goofy about a, a teacher fail, you know, like forgetting to have sharpened pencils before a Scantron test back when we used to do that or something, you know, like, I think, I think that honesty is so incredibly important for teachers to hear, relate to, and just be in the same boat. I think we're, we're in it. Well, because really, I think you're hard pressed to find a teacher who does who goes into the profession saying, "I want what's worst for students," right? Like so, so, and with that, we kind of get this like altruistic vision of ourselves. And I am completely speaking from my own experience. And I'm like, no, I'm here for all the kids. And I'm like, just because my intention is that does not mean that that has always been my impact. Like my impact has absolutely gone against the idea of 
everyone feels, just because everyone is welcome in my classroom doesn't mean everybody feels welcome in my classroom all the time. And that's because of my own affect that I didn't even realize. And like things that I knew didn't sit right with me and I couldn't hit my finger on why and I didn't spend enough time to figure it out. And so I would just go, eh, the next day. Amanda, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think this goes like perfectly into what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. How does this experience for you overlap into your journey with mindfulness and how did that whole experience for you start and kind of morph into now? Yeah. So about three years ago in a staff meeting, our counselors decided to have the whole staff uh, use Headspace, and I'd never heard of Headspace before, uh, for 10 minutes. And I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> I would be too. I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> I, was, I was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. This is a waste of time. I could be grading right now. <laughs> And so, but I gave it a try and they really emphasized and uh, Andy Puttycomb, I think is uh, his name, the headspace guy. He's my hero now. Uh, He really emphasized like paying attention to your thoughts. And I, 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 it was really uncomfortable because I was very negative. I kept and I, but I was trying and I was like going back to my breathing and then I would be negative, uh, negative again. And then I would go back to my breathing. And afterwards I thought, you know, I'll never do that again. <laughs> but a few weeks later, I just, I was like, you know what? I think, I think there's something to this. And I started reading about it. I started reading books about it. I started coming to school. You know, I come to school at about 7.30 a.m., and, and meditating as soon as I got into my classroom and I would pull out a yoga mat and lay flat and listen to Headspace for 10 minutes. And I, I started, um, I mean, a lot of times I would be very negative. This is a waste of time. This is a waste of time. I still think that a lot. I mean, it's hard, but there's this thing that happens in your brain. And this is actually proven uh, that you you sep- you become separated. So there's the prefrontal cortex and that's the, the part of your brain that's uh, kind of the observer and the, the one that makes thoughtful decisions and the one that is patient and, um, and it's the, the higher self really. And then there's this primitive part of your brain, um, the amygdala, the emotions, the like gut reaction part of your brain. And I started to, cause I would do it daily and I started to notice a change in, in my, my brain. It, it was insane. I started to notice this observer more and I started to, uh, in the classroom be quieter. Like when I was frustrated, I would notice those thoughts and I would notice this kind of these sensations in my body, uh, of of um, getting annoyed with students, and instead of immediately reacting, I just would breathe. And and I know one of your questions is how do you incorporate this in the classroom? As simple as it sounds, and as annoying as this might sound, 
because I know like my daughter, she's five and I'm always talking to her about breathing and she's like, oh, she rolls her eyes. She's, I can't even believe a five-year-old rolls her eyes. So does my four-year-old. So does my one-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh-huh. But they roll their eyes and I rolled my eyes for years about the breathing thing. But if you really pay attention and you breathe like right now, it, it does have an effect on your entire body. It does. It, it, physiologically, that's like the biggest thing that I've noticed. But I love what you're saying about feeling and seeing a difference between like two sides of yourself right? Because we're all so complicated and multifaceted as these like organisms and people that walk through the planet. But just taking that time. And I mean, 10 minutes, I feel like sounds like a really long time as a busy teacher. Because as you're saying that, I was like, <laughs> there's no effing way I get myself to calm down for 10 minutes before school starts. With two small kids, I, I'm lucky if I get there with enough time to do something like that. But it sounds so like, like, how long would you say, I think you already said this, how long would you say it took you to like feel a difference or notice a difference of like this well, practice? You notice a difference, I mean, as soon as you're done. I mean, because I always know what, what I need to do next. I'm a very scattered person and I'm a workaholic and I have about a billion things going on in my mind. And so... Um, when I'm finished meditating and you can, like I said, you don't have to do it for 10 minutes. You could do it for a minute. And, and really it's not, it's not about the actual meditating that's powerful. It's afterwards that's powerful when you, cause you, you're basically practicing noticing your mind. You're, you're practicing noticing your thoughts and eventually you're going, I mean, you're going to do that throughout your day. You're going to, it's going to happen automatically. You're going to notice your thoughts. You're going to notice the sensations in your body because you practiced in the morning. But I always feel so much um, like clear. I feel clear when I'm done meditating. Like I know what I need to do next. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. And you could do it for a minute, like Headspace has minute long meditations. And even I meditate in class, like with my students, they don't even know it though. Well, I tell them sometimes, I think that meditation is honestly in the moment, just taking a deep breath, you know, and noticing your body sensations. That's it. And that's a second. That takes a second. <laughs> So, cool. so okay, so so look, tell me more about that. Like when you're with your students and you're explaining this to them, or you're not explaining this to them, what are some of the ways that you have incorporated it into your classroom? And you know, what have some of the reactions been? You know, are they kind of like us with that hesitancy and the reluctance to embrace something new? I mean, what has that all looked like for you in your classroom? Oh my goodness, so many failures, so many failures. So. <laughs> I, yeah, like I'll admit it. I'm a failure. Um, <laughs> You're in good company. Yeah. Uh, as well, I do a spit take with my coffee. Yeah. Uh. And that that's why I think we're brave teachers, right? Because we're willing <laughs> yes. to fail. And so when I first started thinking about bringing this to my students, I was like, oh, I'll just use Headspace because I pay for Headspace. It's like $10 a month or something. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I'll just play Headspace for 10 minutes. 
And yeah, I mean, it's uncomfortable being in a room full of 30 plus kids and you're like, everyone close your eyes, everyone, you know, do this, do that. And eventually I realized that wasn't the right way to go about it. Um, because you can't, I mean, you can't force kids to meditate. You really can't. Um, but you can, expose them to it. And so what I do is, uh, you know, I talk about the brain science. I talk about my story. I tell them the story about how I hated it at first. And, and I still hate it sometimes. Actually, to be perfectly honest, I have not been meditating since this whole home thing happened where we have to shelter in place. It is very hard for me to make time meditate in my home uh, for some reason. But uh, so I'm really honest with my kids about the struggles, uh, but I also am honest with them about the benefits. And so I tell them they can choose to uh, meditate with Andy Petticomb, a headspace guy, for a minute, or sometimes we'll do a minute, sometimes we'll do five minutes, sometimes we'll do 10 minutes. So they could do that, or they could draw, which I believe is a meditative activity. And I just say, you know, if you're drawing, just, you know, as you're drawing, pay attention to your thinking, pay attention to your body sensations. They can read if they want. So it's just a relaxing and they love it. And I I actually, uh, I uh, got a donors choose grant funded to get yoga mats. And so kids will lay on yoga mats uh, and meditate. And I only do it like once a week. And do I do it all year? No, I just want to expose them to it. I I want, and some kids love it. Like every class, I have at least five kids that at the end of the year, they say, Miss Warner, this, this was the best thing that I've learned ever. And they start to incorporate it into their own lives, you know? So just, I think it's our jobs to at least expose them to what, um, how it can benefit them. So if you, well, this is going to be a multi-layered question because of where we are at right now with the pandemic, but let's say, you know, you're a teacher and you're ready to start this journey. You're listening to this. I'm ready to rock and roll. Yes. Mindfulness meditation of some sort in my classroom. How do you think, or like, what do you think is the best first step for a teacher wanting to begin mindfulness? Let's pretend that we're all in a normal quote unquote, normal setting classroom. How, what would you say to start this journey for teachers? Yeah, I definitely would say you need to do it first for a while before you start bringing it to the classroom because I feel like you need to be convinced of the value of it and you need to experience the the hardships of it because yeah. it is it is hard. I mean, it's like any new habit. It's challenging to keep it up. Um so yeah, and I would say um you know, headspace is a great start. Um I also have a course, uh, kind of a mini course that teachers can take if they go to amandarightnow.com and click course or courses. Um, there, I have a, it's actually a three-part course. So it's uh, journaling, sketchnoting, and mindfulness. And I talk about the different types of meditation. So the, the type of meditation that I've been talking about so far is guided meditation but there's also, there's other types too that teachers and students might like better. Um, so you could listen to instrumental music to meditate. Um, 
there's visualization type of meditation. So, um, you know, just kind of exploring your options and there's even walking meditation. So I go on walks with my daughter and really meditation is just being present in the moment and, and, and paying attention to when your thoughts go to the future and paying attention to when your thoughts go to the past. And your brain does that a lot. It does it a lot. It's always trying to take you out of the present moment. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. So Headspace, my course, um, could be first steps. No, I think that's great. I th- and I think the best thing is to like do the work first, right? Like, like mm-hmm. do the work. Pre- this isn't something necessarily – it sounds like something that we could do a little bit of damage or if nothing else, waste some time if it's not something bringing mindfulness into your own classroom, like do the work. And it doesn't sound like you need a college course in it. No, <laughs> it's need to no. do a little bit of, of leg work. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing with writing. Like I write, I write too. Yeah. <laughs> I read too. You can't really teach something well unless you're in it with the kids. Yeah. In my opinion. No, I agree. I love that. Like the idea that we need to do a little bit of work first and you have all these great resources, including your own like courses, because it sounds like you've done a lot of the legwork for us. So why wouldn't we just say, thank you, Amanda? Yes, please. Um, What do you think, or like, what is an idea that you have? Because if we're really being honest with ourselves, we're probably not going to be full-time back in the classroom in the fall. Um, How do you think this could work through distance learning? Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you asked that. Because actually my course includes a distance learning component and I've made a bunch of cartoon videos for kids. I love making cartoon videos on Powtoon uh, and putting them on my YouTube channel. But these, these, these videos are actually part of the course. So I don't know. Um, but if you don't like, I think YouTube videos are great. (laughs) Honestly, like YouTube is awesome. There's lots of great free resources on YouTube if you just search mindfulness for kids. Um, yeah, there, there's so many awesome websites too. I think mindful.org has just guided meditations for kids. Um, yeah, just Google mindfulness for kids and there's all sorts of videos out there that you can show kids for distance learning. And I think kids, you know, learning from home it can be chaos and they can have all of these urges to play video games or to get on their phones and, and mindfulness can really um, help with that, I think. And by the way, the difference between mindfulness and meditation, meditation is a practice, whereas mindfulness is basically your way, the way you live your life. So meditation is like the practice for living mindfully. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I'm picturing all kinds of like, I would love to have in like the first couple weeks of school, like one of my Zoom meetings be like a meditation. Like we're all together on Zoom and everyone's, you know, choosing their own meditation adventure. And then we just, but we like are using the accountability of being present together on Zoom to do that. Would that be crazy or would that work to accomplish the goal? I love that. You know, what's annoying though, when you're on zoom with kids and they're on their phones or they're like, you, you can see their video game controller in their hand. Yeah. And then just it kick them little, out of the room. Yeah. I was going to say it gets even dicier when they're like seniors and they're just doing stuff that you're like, I don't need to see that. <laughs> or eating Takis. I've had yeah. kids just like 
chowing down on Takis in the middle of my- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And well, then I, like- for one, I am really excited to start thinking about how this can apply in my classroom. I know high school students, I mean, you got eighth grade, Amanda, and I'm telling you, this definitely applies to high school. I have some of the most stressed out humans self-described self, you know, yes. their lives are so stressful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and they, they definitely, they probably are stressed, but it always seems much bigger in their heads. And I think this is sounding like something that really needs to take a priority seat, especially considering the circumstances that we're in right now. So Absolutely. thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us. Well, Let's just do- so you know, it doesn't, you know, the stress part doesn't go away. It's okay. not like meditation makes it go away. It's just you're noticing it and how it feels. And yeah. I, I think that's still, that's still healthier than just letting it exist and not understanding why or how. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So I was approached by uh, my librarian not too long ago, and she attended a workshop on mindfulness. And she kind of shared some of the PowerPoint slides with me. And I just, I guess there's like two questions I have for you about just in- incorporating this into the classroom, COVID or not. One is, do you think that like direct instruction on the like, terminology and things that you've been saying is worthwhile? And then two, do you feel like doing like a mindfulness Monday or like something branded once a week? Like are either of those two strategies worth trying or are there, you know, pitfalls that we could find if we do do one of those two things? Yeah. I mean, of, of course, I, I definitely think uh, teaching the terms, teaching the benefits, um, teaching the struggles before you even do it is really important. Um, because if you just throw kids in there they're gonna, they're gonna rebel, (laughs) you know, and, and, and teaching the expectations and teaching, you know, and I, I also kind of went back and forth between like, do I get to meditate too? Or am I just monitoring the classroom? And uh, it depends on the class, you know, like some classes, I feel very comfortable just sitting and relaxing, whereas other classes, I really need to be up and making sure people are not disturbing each other uh yeah because that happens you know and I think yeah mindfulness Monday I I also think there's a lot of power in just a minute of of deep like three deep breaths before you even start anything um and yeah because I think it just calms kids it calms you um yeah so yeah, I, I like both of those ideas. I think you have to experiment. And, you know, I think we all as teachers know, realistically, we might try something and then it drops off later and you just have to pick it back up. You well, know? and what works in one way with one class won't the next quarter or what? Exactly. Yeah, or the next period, like you were saying. So, yeah, it's exactly. all about experimentation, right? Yep. Beautiful. I like that. Love it. That was my question. All right. Amanda, will you please let us know where people can find you and connect with you and take your courses and do all the things? Uh, AmandaWrightNow.com, W-R-I-T-E, because I'm obsessed with teaching, writing workshop (laughs) and reading workshop. So that's the main place uh, you can get all of the courses and the materials and uh, join my Facebook group and find my podcast. So if you just go to amandarightnow.com, that's where you can find it all. 
Perfect. And we will have that linked in our show notes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an absolute delight. And I think our listeners know that we've had a good time because we go on a lot of tangents when we do. (laughs) I love being with both of you and I want to do this again. Absolutely. Thanks for coming, Amanda. It was so good to see you slash talk to you. I know. Can we hang out again? Like, Mm -hmm. keep hanging out even after you? Yeah, let's cut these guys off and let's keep talking. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.